Hey everyone, my name is Dave Nixon and welcome back to the Alpha Theta Flow podcast. As promised to you guys, um, I uh, wanted to get more guests back on this year and one of those people that I uh, wanted to catch up and chat with is someone that I've spent a fair bit of time with through travels and I actually look forward to getting back over to Europe for the first time in a long time and spending some time with him again. It's Richard Aceves. Um, How are you, sir? How's it going, man? I'm doing great. That's a beautifully sunny, I mean, non-sunny Amsterdam day as always here in Amsterdam summer uh, seems to be cloudy most of the time (laughs) well our winters here in Canberra I mean we had a couple of real real wet winter winter weeks um but our winters get sunny just not warm okay so it's kind of Uh, like yeah like you can see it and it like it makes sense but you can't feel it but it's not happening here you walk outside it's 22 degrees but it's cloudy so yeah right well you're moving short anyway so you're in Amsterdam at the moment you're moving shortly, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, so I'm gonna be, uh, we have a, a house in Italy, so we'll be moving there for a few months and then trying to make my way over to London uh, to go work with the crew over at Fortitude in Fortitude Fitness and Fortify in Canary Wharf. Yep. So I'll be kind of helping with the coaching education over there and the member experience and just kind of trying to put all my theoretical craziness into practical approaches at a community driven functional fitness group class gym. Great. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, before we talk too much about the future, let's just have a bit of a recap. So I first met you when uh, you were working with strong fit and you came out to Australia, we hosted a, um, a seminar and uh, a two day seminar. We, and we had a, hosted another one the year after. Now I'm pretty sure you came out like March 2018, maybe, initially. Yeah, dude, all those dates are such a blur. <laughs> that's that's think, over yeah, four I think that years was ago. The first one. Yeah. You haven't aged how fast a day. Goes. You have, you, if anything, you've looked. Thank younger. you. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. The no sleep looks good on you, right? <laughs> yeah, man. You're just, you're just a Mexican Johnny Bravo. It's, uh, but it's it's the look. The point that I'm saying here is, um, obviously, we've been following each other and being in contact for a while now and so both yeah your methods and and my methods and real world experience and coaching have evolved a lot over that time um it was it was yourself and 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 julian that you worked with at the time but um i spent a lot more time with you um to really understand a lot of you know some of the methods and it's important i think it's very important that methods and models and principles are taken with a grain of salt um, and the beauty of that is because every single person gets a chance to somewhat remix to some degree and, and see things that other people can't see. Right. And so yeah. I've definitely integrated a lot of the stuff. Well, you know, uh, objectively, a lot of the stuff from strong fit and, and seen parts that, uh, that I like and parts that I'm like, I, I don't really see that fitting and it's played a big role. Right. Um, but as all good things should be, it evolves. And so today yeah. I really want to have a chat with you about how you've evolved and, you know, what you're doing and um, how your experience has changed over those years. And, and I, I just want to be able to see the industry through your lens today. Beautiful. I love it. Um, yeah. It's a, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny cause I look back and now I'm one of the old guys and I started my, you know, I started a CrossFit gym back when I was turning 19, uh, still 18. And, you know, you were a young buck and you had the ego and you wanted to murder everybody at the gym. And, you know, back in the day, it was like, 
you need to be tough enough to be at this gym. So I'm going to put you through Fran on the first workout you know, a few years later, like, maybe that's not the smartest idea to do with your clients, <laughs> you know, um, and as things started to evolve, and, and I started to work with Julian and StrongFit, um, you know, we, re I really got to see a whole new lens of training, uh, which for me was something that I've always questioned, and I still question, and I think it's something that should always be questioned is, what is the value that you're providing for clients, right, because anybody can go to the gym, or can do push-ups at home, or can move, so the value is not the time that you spend with your client, but it's the knowledge that you're able to transcend and give them. Um, and I think that was strong fit that really resonated with me and really grew um, into the value that I'm able to provide clients. And, you know, it started from just fixing movement imbalances and, you know, people that have massive amount of discomfort or pain that uh, doctors or physios maybe could not answer. And so we had, we provided just a different perspective to the problem. Um, and we were able to see it from another side and yeah, it was, it was extremely successful. And as that kind of continued to evolve, you know, of course, the biggest thing now is kind of the mental health and the anxiety and depression and, you know, being able to deal with these behavioral changes and stressors, um, in the gym concept or, you know, through the movement or training side of things. And that's really been my calling in life. And I think that I've, used to do it before, but it was always through movement and just me being myself and just being a, a person for, for my client. Um, and so that's kind of where it's led me to kind of split paths and go down my own road to teach my philosophies and to teach how I see movement and training and how I see um, the change of behavior or, you know, my version of training, health, fitness, all of that good stuff. And so that's led to what you two main things that you currently do now, which I want to get through a little bit today as well, uh, which is the Barracuda yeah. Way and Movement Ayahuasca. Now, yep. the one of the things before the show when I asked you around, you know, what what would you say are the core things that you're providing and that you're you're doing at the moment and invested in and enjoying, which is crucial. Um, it's the thing that I promised with my space and my facility is that the day that I stop enjoying doing what I'm doing, I'll. I'll put my hand up and move on. And, right. um, you know, that 100%. day is actually, that day has come uh, and gone. Yeah. But the, the difference was, it's like, I'm not enjoying this. I'm like, either I'm going to sell it or I'm going to have to change. And we changed. We completely shifted how we, how we approached fitness and, and health and, and stepped into what, what I believe is a, is a truer expression of our philosophy, um, which yeah. enabled me Beautiful. to be reinvested, right? Yeah. So with the Barracuda Way, one of the things you were talking about, and it's basically the uh, you, you, you know models or modules or methods, and one of those is the phylogenetic yeah. nervous system. Now, I want to start yeah. with this, if that's cool with you, because it was something that when I was first exposed to this, it added an extra dimension to my coaching. Um, and then integrating that into everything that I had learned, especially from a, um, a psychological standpoint, let alone breathing standpoint. Um, I then was able to make iterations of that, that made sense to me and, and how I coach and how I coach coaches. And so what I want to know from you is firstly, are you able to give me a, a brief rundown in your words, how, what the phylogenetic nervous system is, um, and then yeah. I'd love to know how you use that today. 
Beautiful. Uh, so the phylogenetic hierarchy is uh, was developed by Dr. Steve Porges. It's used a lot now through different therapies. Um, basically, what you have is you have the central nervous system, and you're going to have the ventral vagus nerve, which is the flow, socialization, coordination um, aspect, which is what on the parasympathetic side, which would be like the rest and digest side, if you will. Um, it's the most modern part of our nervous system. It uh, it's where the big trend in fitness is. Everybody wants to get to the flow state. Um, and then from there you go to a fight or flight, uh, not fight and flight, because you can't hunt and be hunted at the same time. I mean, I guess you can, but you know, sure. from some point yeah. you're hunting the animal and the other time you're being hunted. So yeah. that would be in the sympathetic side. Um, and then basically on the fight side, it's you going out hunting. Think of it that way. Uh, you not you are not thinking that you're still able to be you're still able to coordinate and be cognitive, but the action, the body is doing most of the work. That's how I see it. Um, the flight is you're being hunted. So you start to have high amounts of stress, more than anything, mental stress, uh, panic attacks or sympathetic freezes happen in this state. And then you would have the dorsal vagus nerve, which is the oldest part of the system, which is the freeze state. Um, and this is just pure survival, right? So after you've gone, you know, as, as your body, for me, it's always, as your body starts to understand what it's going through, um, you're either going to win the state or you're going to lose a state, right? And there's multiple dimensions of this, but for, you know, a, as a basic concept, you win or lose a state. So you go from flow to fight, to flight, to freeze, or you go from freeze to flight, to fight, to flow. And so as you're jumping through these, they can become, they move around quickly. It's not like it's going to take half a day. I, it could, but for the most part, it's, they're very fast how these states start to turn. Um, so, you know, I always use the basic term of you're out in the bar and you're having a great time with your buddies and a dude comes up and slaps you in the face. The first thing that's going to happen is you're going to go from, from a situation of having a good time, being socialized to holy shit, I'm going to kill this dude to going into a flight state going, what the fuck? Let me take a look. Can I actually fight this man? Or am I going to get my ass kicked? Is it worth it? Is it a friend? Right. That kind of freeze moment where you're analyzing the room to see how you're going to best act. And then. Let's say that you see the guy and I see you because you're a little bit shorter than me, a little bit smaller. I'm like, he's got a beard, but you know, he's got a ponytail. I can take him probably a hippie. And I say, I'm going to fight. So I go from the flight. I'm like, I take action. I start fighting. Little did I know that you're a kickboxer and Muay Thai champion and all this, and you kick the shit out of me. So I start to get rocked by you. What's the next step is I start to go, holy shit, I'm being hunted. I go into a defense mechanism. You keep kicking my ass. And then what's the final stage? I start to go into that freeze, which would be that fetal position. I play dead, right? I'm, it's going to take me a while you. for me to come. And then just to, just to say it, it was okay. It was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really envious, friend. Yeah. Sorry. Right? I just saw the opportunity. So, I just saw it. There so, isn't a universe so where you're a little spoon you, to me, man. Yeah. I love it. I like being a little spoon. It's nice. It's nice being caressed. Yeah. Um, and so that's basically, you know, how we run our life. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very brief rundown, but you can see how people that spend most of their time in the flight state are usually always constantly overanalyzing things, trying to figure out how to take action, but if they cannot take action, they fall back down. Right. So social anxiety is a 
fuck, my friends are inviting me and I do want to go out and I should go out because they're my friends. I'm going to have a good time. And then as the time starts to get closer, you're like, well, shit, but I'm going to be at the bar. And what if Dave is over at the bar and he's going to want to fight me again? And then I don't feel like fighting because last time he kicked my ass and I don't want to be ridiculing for my friends again. So maybe I should just not go. No, maybe I should go, right? So you start to stay in this action, this state of flight of being hunted by the external side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you end up not going. And so you, you can kind of see how this can play a role in training and, and multiple facets of everything that we do in life. And so for me, it's a very basic concept, um, which is not basic. There's a lot of depth behind it, but that we can use for training, for mental health, uh, for being able to change someone's behavioral cycles through using the gym or training as a, as a form of stress, positive stress. So that's basically okay, so changing the behavioral cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Changing, so the changing the behavioral, behavioral cycle. cycle. Think of. Talk to me that. Yeah. So that would be the body is constantly having stressors coming in, right? So we're a learning machine and we learn to react to things. So we have our body as this observation where there's constant feelers going out of, I can see that person and their eyes look really angry. Maybe I should be threatened by this. Or this person is smiling and happy and joyful. There's no threat here. I can be in a more flow state, right? Um, you know, looking at it from a fitness standpoint, I did a hundred kilo deadlift and I threw my back out. And today on the workout and my programming, I see that I have hundred kilo deadlifts. And it's even though I've recovered from my deadlift, my body's still going, I remember this. Remember we observed this last time and you got hurt. So now this signal gets sent to the brain and it starts to make a prediction. And it starts going, bro, remember, like, yeah, there's the, the friends are here and everything, but last time you did this, your back hurt, right? And so it's kind of like this feedback loop of we're going to observe what's happening, we're going to make a prediction, and we're going to want to match that prediction. So changing these cycles means that every time that I see that 100 kilo barbell, I'm going to get high amounts of stress, right? And so the chances are that I'm going to keep getting hurt at this hundred kilo or not be able to face the hundred kilos and lift it. So changing that behavioral cycle is like, okay, so we need to create safety in the body, right? Creating some safety in the body means that I'm going to change this, the behavior by not having you lift a deadlift, uh, a barbell deadlift, but having you pick up a sandbag or push a sled or, you know, do dumbbell dimmel deadlifts, something along those lines. And so once I create safety in the body, because now the body has gotten stronger or has been, is now capable of creating the proper tension in this movement pattern, I start to begin to create confidence. So now I start to bring in the barbell again and I go, let's teach the, the body how it moves now, not how it moved back then when you got hurt, but now that it's gotten stronger, let's build up the confidence. So we rebuild the confidence by, by getting a new strength cycle, if you will, um, and not having back pain leading up to the, the hundred kilos, right? So maybe like at 180 kilos, we stay below that massive stress point until there's enough confidence where he goes, yeah, I'm strong enough because I just did 80 kilos by 10 and 95 kilos by five. So I got hundred kilos and now I can perform the hundred kilo deadlift and I've changed the behavioral cycle, meaning that I've changed the way that I'm going to react to the observations and the predictions that I'm making. Okay. Great. And so, you know, you, you do that in the gym, but that's going to also relate to how you're going to do that in real life. Just so I'm on the that's, same page, when you say do that yeah. in real life, what, what's that specifically for you in that example? Yeah, I, so, I, I think I'm on the same page. I just want to clarify. Yeah. So the, so if I'm able to create confidence in how you perform in the gym, 
that can directly translate over into how you're going to perform or have confidence in the outside of the gym. Meaning, let's say that maybe you had some social anxiety that had built up or you've had, you know, many of things that can be happening in life, right? Um, I don't know what a specific situation would be. Uh, but basically, if I can create more confidence inside of the gym, you tend to walk around differently outside of the gym. Sure. So maybe there's more confidence because now you pulled 100 kilos. So in your head, you're like, oh, now I can go talk to Susie and ask her on a date. I don't know. Right. So kind of creating, creating the confidence and the perseverance and being able to create the safety in the body allows you to act one way in the gym. But those those direct actions are able to transfer over into real life okay. into into actionable states. Great. And um, you mentioned states earlier as well. Um, how are you using the word state? How would you describe a state? There's so many ways. Uh, um, so, yes, yeah, sure. so, I mean, as, yeah. So, I mean, so as we talk about like more of the, the flow state, the fight state, the fight state, the free state, yeah. right? So we, we can kind of have these four quadrants. Um, for me, I think the flow state is a bit overused nowadays um because everything seems to want to be healed towards the parasympathetic parasympathetic side uh for me I, i'd like to be between that flow and the fight so when i look when i talk about the states um i always think of the flow and the fight being more efferent more actionable type states so being taking action in the outside world and when i'm talking about the flight and the freeze i think of them as a more efferent state so meaning they're more in your head they're the narration right so the free state is you wanting to take action, but being, I call it boredom, not depression, just because I feel like, you know, there's negative connotation with depression uh, but, or sadness. And so you're wanting to take action outside of your body, right? That you're kind of bored or in that the sadness where you don't really see the need to go outside and take action. So mm. when you're in that more sad sadness driver or that more depressed state you're kind of like well why do i need to go out like whatever nobody really cares yeah, about it it's, it's right it's like, like why don't you go deadlift? i know my back's gonna hurt at 100 kilos yeah right and so then from there you have the flight state this is where the strategic part comes in um this is kind of where the the somatic errors and the ability to over predict right so meaning that you're constantly trying to analyze to see how to best take action but you never do uh start to take place but this is where you need to strategize as to how am I going to go in the fight, right? So how am I going to step in the ring and fight my, my opponent, right? And then what's going to happen if X, Y, and Z happen? And then, you know, you start to have all these different scenarios. Um, and then the fight is now actually going outside to take action. So now it's no longer just thinking it in your head, but actually taking the physical action for it. And then the flow state is once you've actually you've experienced what you predicted you were going to do and it came out better than you thought it would. Right. So if I were going to go, let's say we say, Hey, I'm going to do two rounds in the ring with you. My, my goal is thinking I would just want to survive the first round and I'd be super stoked, but somehow, you know, you beat the shit out of me, but I was still able to survive two rounds. Even though I lost the fight, I was like, dude, I made it past the first round. Hoorah. I win. Yep. So I still get to go towards that flow state. So it's the, between the flow and the flight, right? Shall we say it all depends on what happens in the fight. So the flight is where the prediction is being made. The fight is where I get to express that prediction and want to match that prediction. 
if I get the prediction better or equal to, I can jump to the flow. Okay. Nice. If it goes worse, then I go to back down to the flight and I'm like, holy shit, like I need to reconvene and try and think of how am I going to do this better, right? And then based on resiliency, shall we say, or the ability to want to, you know, to enjoy the failing aspect of life over and over again, we'll kind of show you where, where you will end up being. Okay, cool. Very interesting. So with the parasympathetic nervous system, that's mm -hmm. one, my word, model that you would use yeah. as far as coaching through obviously clients, but also then coaching with coaches. What, uh, how many, how many models do you have? What are, what are the other me like meta models, the ones that sit above everything else? Yeah. So right now I'm playing around quite a bit. I mean, more on the physical side, not necessarily the nervous system side. Um, you know, and again, uh, for me, it's more of a, how is the body feeling like auto regulating the body? Uh, we, I started to go into like the data driven stuff, which is great, but the body is amazing. The human, the human as a whole is just amazing. Um, so we were doing some lactate testing to test anxiety levels. Um, and I had a client of mine that was emotionally feeling better. Uh, we've been working now for three to four months. Um, and the, we started to go more towards the data driven side of things. And I started to notice the capacity for her to manipulate the data to show that she was being successful, even though she was not, which baffles my mind, right? So, and I, I've had that with clients as well that have like the whoop or the, or the aura ring and they feel extremely well rested and they feel awesome the next day and they look at the, at the data and it shows that shitty sleep. So I think that there's a lot more at play there. Uh, so for me, it's more auto-regulation and really being able to understand your body. And I, I break that down into the physical, the mental, and the emotional. So when I work with my clients, it's more about how are you feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally. And based on that, we kind of go into a different warm-up type. And then based on that, we do the workout, whatever that workout needs to be. And so, you know, if you're going into the gym and, you know, I'm feeling very, I'm feeling pumped to go to the gym mentally, physically, and emotionally. Then I call it my fit training day. And basically the warm-up is how fit are you for today? So I have two to three sets to get to a heavy deadlift. And then that's my working sets. And then I go do my accessory work. If I'm going to the gym, but I've had lack of sleep, my hips are feeling kind of iffy. So like mentally and, and physically, I'm not feeling good, but emotionally I'm like, now nah, I'm going to go kill the gym today the other two win and take priority. So it's a skill-driven day. So it's more about doing accessory work, just kind of flowing, letting the body just kind of, you know, go back to a more homeostasis and more recovery state. Um, and so that's really an important thing for me is let's start to go back into this auto-regulation of how are you feeling today? And not just how are you feeling physically, but mentally and emotionally. I think that's very important. There's a lot of people that are very strong mentally, so physically, their body's not feeling good, but mentally, they're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm okay. I can do this. And they kind of go against what their body is telling them, right? So for me, it's, it's really a, a matter of finding balance in all three in order for me to get the right stimulus, which will allow them to get to the right state, which will then lead towards either having the objective goal in the long term or short term, which would be the safety, the confidence, or the performance. And so that's kind of something I've really been starting to play with where it's like, if we can do, if we can have our check-in on the physical, mental, and emotional state, 
I can provide the right stimulus, that be it with nutrition, with exposure therapy of heat or cold or movement, uh, with tools like breathing to get the right stimulus for the day, which will then lead towards having better, more safety, more confidence, or actually perform in your sports specific skill or whatever it is that you're wanting to accomplish. Fantastic. So that's um, kind of the, the markers. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So a model I, I, years ago, right. I was first training my coaches, like I'm talking, the, the gym's what 11 years old. So this is probably nine years ago. And I was trying to think about how when looking at movement, like, what are the what are the ways that we actually break down what information we give rather than going right. uh, how do we how do we correct the technique don't forget that fucking idea for a moment that's not it because you just you can just blurt information because you look at the mechanics of the individual you can just blurt information i'm like first and this is how it came out at the time i was like first you have to make the movement safe and then yeah. you make the movement strong and then it's sexy it was just this alliteration for this idea of like safe, strong, sexy. And so that's yeah. evolved over the time and, and taken on different variations and names, but it's the same thing. It's like, what's safe? It's like, what range of movement does the individual have? And then what stability do they have for that range of movement? And then what's their cap right. capability to repeat that stability throughout that range of movement? Like that's a bandwidth that we have rather than going right, wrong technique. And so it's seeing safety, confidence, performance, and when we use the word strong, it doesn't necessarily mean more weight on a barbell. It actually means right. you know, how strong is a person's relationship with their body? Um, yeah. Which is funny because confidence is to confide. And so body confidence is actually to be able to confide in your body, to trust your body. That's what body right. confidence actually yeah, is. Exactly. And so it's, <laughs> it's really quite fascinating seeing how, com like how similar and different, I'm sure, at the same time when it's pulled apart and it's beauty. Uh, and then performances, when I talk about sexy, I'm like, look, you watch a 52 kilogram female pull 230 kilos. I'm like, it's not right. about trying to make it gender sexy. It's not that. It's like, or you watch the Olympics and you watch these gymnasts just making this thing look so easy. Like it's, it's sexy is talking about the extreme, the, the master of the masters at their, at their craft. Um, right. But yeah. you can't get there without having safety, without having confidence. Um, and then your ability to perform becomes, you know, blood, sweat, and years, not just blood, sweat, and tears. Right. Yeah. And, and exactly. And, and again, it's like the principle is still there. Right. Which I think is awesome. And, and that was one of the biggest things I was always working on. So I'm like, in reality, we're all working towards confidence, but the confidence is to perform something. And so that's why I kind of put those together. But it was, you know, it was watching, uh, I think it was the Usain Bolt documentary um, where he kind of just start, started losing and he was just like not in it. You know, there was a lack there of mental and emotional presence to the task. And so I was like, well, that makes sense. So that for me, I, I like, I love this model in the sense of the capacity to go, okay, so why are you coming in to lose weight? Okay, why do you want to lose weight? Because you want confidence, but you can't have the confidence if you don't have safety in your body first. Right. So if you're wanting to lose weight and you think that I'm the one that's going to get you to lose the weight or the exercise is going to get you to lose the weight, you're wrong because you're still not having safety in your body. So I need to build the safety in your body first, and then we can start to generate the confidence and then the performance, which would be the loss of weight, which is technically a bad product. Right. I mean, it's always going more towards just the ability to have confidence in how you look naked or be sexy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been something that I've been playing with now and I've, I've really enjoyed 
the results just because the you kind of are able to um, you really are able to sort of break down and not just have this superficial conversation with clients, um, but really get to have an actual connection with them and really understand where they're coming from. So that, that for me was the kind of the, the basis behind it is I don't want it to be superficial, but we are in the service industry and, you know, 90% of the time people are coming to see you because they want to have a better deadlift or back squat or, you know, get that six pack or lose the 15 kilos for a wedding. So, yep. you know, we do need to provide that service, but the ability to get in deeper allows us to have a connection and to have retention with your clients. Yeah. It gives meaning. Builds rapport. So two, two of the questions that I ask now, this is dependent upon my level of rapport with the individual um, is not too dissimilar to your question, but it's like, I want to lose 15 kilograms. And so the question then is, okay, what will losing 15 kilograms give you that you don't already have? Right. Yeah. And so yeah, what's that for the 15 kilos? <laughs> yeah. So it's going, so what would that give you that already has? And depending on the individual and, you know, like if they go, I've never been able to lose it. I've always kept it on. They said something along those lines. It's like, well, now devil's advocate, but what could be the possible intention of actually keeping it on? Right. And this is one of the challenges is that for a lot of people without us realizing the um, keeping on weight as an example is actually a problem to, sorry, a solution to a different problem. And they may not be aware of that. The, in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, it talks a little bit about this, this lady who was working as a, I think in the office of a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist ran this, it's probably back early 2000s, ran this program, this weight loss program. And uh, it was on shakes, but it was a study. Um, and she lost, I think, it must, I think it was in pounds, but let's say basically a pound a week for a year. So 52 pounds, or I think it was actually more. I think it yeah. ended up being 50 kilos. So it must've been, you know, uh, 110 pounds or something like that. And um, quick math. And uh, the, <laughs> he then, that was, that was a calendar year. And then he came and saw, he saw her again in April that year and she had it all back on. So she had it off for a year, which is like, that's a, that's not just a 12 week fat loss camp. She had it off for a year and then she put right. it back on within a few months. And this guy being a psychiatrist is not like, Oh, is everything okay? He's like, Hey, can I ask you questions? This is, this is great for the study. And uh, what yeah. he found <laughs> was that this, this lady um, kept it off. And then one of the guys at her workplace kind of, hinted at her um I, I can't remember the words in the book but basically hinted at her to be like hey you know we should catch up and hang out and you know be intimate effectively yeah and that triggered in her um pain from her sexual abuse as a as a as a youth and so mm. her solution was to put weight back on because if i put weight back on no one talks to me and so the, the, right. the challenge with society and the, 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 the complexities of our mind and the meanings that we make as individuals is that sometimes, and, and we have to be open to this, and so it's not just weight, right? It could be like, well, you know, why do you keep letting your, your potential knee pain hold you back? Or, you know, what's the positive intention behind um, not wanting to hurt yourself? Like it's, it's there's right. many different ways we can ask this question, but in this circumstance for her, we look at this as society and go, you know, she, she should lose for health, you know, 40 kilograms or whatever the case might be 30, 10, doesn't matter. But unfortunately, unless we dig deeper and it's hard 
with you know general skills especially starting out as a 19 year old in your crossfit gym or me you know 22 yeah. year old starting starting my gym to to take this lens on but to her unknowingly that weight is a solution to a more difficult problem and right. so a really challenging question but a really beautiful question if you have enough rapport with the individual is like you know if there could be what could the positive intention of keeping that weight on be yeah and seeing what for comes sure. up for the person yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a, a fun way to look at it right and and yeah and i mean that that's always the thing is like what what is the one of the biggest things that I have with my clients is like, what work are you willing to do? Because, you know, we as the coaches don't do much more than navigate the person, right? We're support mm-hmm. and everything. Yes. But we, we're, we navigate, like if that person is not doing the work, um, you know, like, like with that, that person who wanted to put the weight on just because you don't want to deal with that other side of the coin. Um, that's also not necessarily the answer. Um, but it's always for me the harder part is like as a coach, what is the what is that line that you're supposed to take the client to, and then what's past it or before it? Like, where is that that kind of trippy line between you should have you know professional help or therapist or someone that you know has done this for a long time um, in order to help with these things, and that's that's really where for me with movement ayahuasca and the barracuda way and with a lot of my one-on-one clients, like I've, I've brought on, um, you know, a couple of doctors on the board so that I can deal with these cases in a very intuitive way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also here with a doctor. I'm like, Hey, this is happening. Like, how do I, like, what would be the approach or maybe you need to get on a call with them and, you know, make sure that we're, we're all in the same boat. Right. Because I think, you know, you say that and we start to work with it, but you know, I think that becomes overwhelming for a coach that's like, bro, I just want to get people to deadlift. For right? sure. And it's, now you have this yep. client and they're like, what the fuck? You know, you don't want to lose them, but you're like, I, this is way out of my spectrum, you know? Yep. And, and so for me, like one of the biggest ones was like with Avicii. Uh, if you watch the documentary, um, you know, he's with the trainer and his heart rate starts to go up and he's like, oh, I'm having a panic attack. And the, tr- the trainer goes, so your heart can't tell the difference. Like you can't tell the difference between you being on stage and having a panic attack and being in the gym training. And he goes, no. And he goes, oh, and walks away. <laughs> and you're like, you know, we should be able to be like, oh, well, that's not good. Let me go find you some help. Perhaps somebody that understands this a little bit more, yeah. you know, and you could have saved that person's life. And, and it's that, that the fact, and that's what I mean, like adding proper stress to your clients is if you're going to be a coach and be working with your clients, we do need to understand the repercussions and the changes that we're making in that body that they could be, I don't want to say positive or negative, but you could be leading them down a different path that yeah. maybe is not the best outcome, shall we say, yep. right? Um, and so we could be adding on to kind of these recurring behaviors and 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 training systems in the body a certain way or another and yeah. so that's always the the biggest challenge is where is the line of a, of a you know physical trainer pt coach versus where does it start to go really towards a medical side or who do we have on call and that's going to be you know that's one of the biggest things i want to try and and solve is making sure that we have coaches that are passionate about helping others emotionally and 
you know, uh, you know, through very difficult things, but also being able to have the support of the medical world because, yeah. you know, they do spend a lot of years studying a lot of cool shit. <laughs> they do. So the, um, I want to yeah. talk to that point as well, right? Because um, you, you need to know when to refer on. That's, that's extremely yeah. crucial because it, and this is the difference between, you mentioned service industry before, but from my perspective, we're in the people industry and, and a part of that is obviously service. Yeah. So you, I agree with you. And so it's looking at this and going, what's the best pathway for the, this person in front of me that I can offer? Um, rather than tell or push or motivate or any bullshit like that. And one of the key things and there's, so through my coach training and I did a, a bunch of different um, programs through the coaching room, they talk about there's basically two markers when you need to refer. And so when it comes to coaching, coaching is usually with somebody who's mostly present um, or future orientated um, within reason Um and has what's called a healthy level of ego strength. So they're able to take, mm -hmm. they're able to see themselves and be like, oh, fuck, I actually do do that. Whereas if somebody is mostly in the past, and so they're referencing the past, they're, they're, and that can be comparison to the past, and if they have a, a low level of ego strength, um, then that's where it's like it's, it needs to be referred. Um, and they're the two markers that we use to to look at that and it's just at the point it doesn't yeah. mean that i can't do anything it's like mate you're fucking psycho you got to go it's not that it's like okay <laughs> you know so previously who else have you worked with and and you know kind of get is there buy-in that this person wants to do that is this buy-in this person goes right. oh no I don't, I don't i don't talk to quacks it's like okay so yeah. you know what, what's what's that on behalf of and and what's you know is there a stigma there and so forth but um, it's the kind of thing that the two markers that we do use to try and navigate, it's still a fucking gray line, but to try and navigate that gray yeah. line is, are they mostly in the past? Are they mostly referencing the past? Um, and that means they've probably got some things there that they need to work through, especially if someone's hyper, hyper right. future as well. It's actually not too similar. It's, it's usually hyper future is actually usually based on the past because they're concerned about the future based upon their experiences of the past. And so they're grabbing the past and projecting it into the future. So it's still past, even though it sounds future. Um, but then also, yeah, the ego strength. So is it, you know, how well can this person see themselves? Um, right. And then otherwise it's, yeah. look, it's gray. And it, it, I think those two things that I just mentioned, you as the trainer slash coach, you have to ask yourself, how much do I reference the past? You know, where am I? What's my level of ego strength? Can I see, you know what? I fucked up right. there. I apologize how can we, you know, navigate this and move forward? Move forward. So, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, and again, I'm not saying like, I think for us as coaches, I think the biggest thing is like, if you're there for that person, I think you're going to be more likely than not adding a positive effect on, on this person's life. Right. So it's not to say like, don't touch it or anything like that, but it's, you know, deal with the human and be, a, I think as long as you, you're there to listen and, and kind of take note, uh, yeah. it's great but yeah there are people that you know we have some extreme cases that do come into the gym and yep. come across our paths and you're like holy shit i don't i'm i'm a, a little bit of loss of what direction to go to yeah yeah so that's when so you kind of need a little bit of help it's an important conversation i've enjoyed having that with you man as well it's been good to get your point of it um moving ayahuasca yeah i look, a fun one <laughs> i uh I'm yet to take ayahuasca and I'm not sure that there's actually ayahuasca on, on these trips. I think maybe they're a different type of trip. There's um, 
but uh, but I want you to talk me through. I'm not just going to leave it as a global question, but I want you to talk me through why. Um, and then what? I think it was actually so in Canberra when the first seminar happened. Um, we were really exper- That was the first time we were really experimenting with the nervous system, uh, looking into Willem Reich and some psychotherapists and how they looked at the body. Um, incorporating strength and conditioning to all these practices and kind of looking at Eastern methodologies and just kind of having all these kind of cool epiphany moments in training. Um, we we're training a lot and I was able to almost, as it called astral meditation, I think it's called. Um, don't quote me on it. Uh, but basically like kind of go through time and space and, and, you know, kind of like with somatic therapies, when you go and see your younger self and you have a conversation with that child and you heal these types of traumas, um, I was able to have a lot of these trips while training. Um, and I was like, wow, there's something there. And so then I kind of kept pursuing it, um, you know, and I did that workout. I've done a few different workouts with a few different people and well, with a lot of people. Uh, and one of them was a guy that had just done ayahuasca and had an amazing experience. Um, and then I did an assessment on him and I was really playing around with this sort of, you know, what can we really get out of training and how can we go more towards healing traumas or anything that's kind of making you become stuck in this, in this cycle. And we finished the workout and he was like, holy shit. He's like, that felt more powerful than the ayahuasca. Mm. And so I was like, huh. and from then on, I was just thinking like movement ayahuasca, like, that's a cool name. Um, and just kind of stuck. And I just liked how it just kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, but yeah, so I can, I've, I've spent a lot of time and hours and minutes and seconds when I work with clients, looking at small twitches and looking at how the body reacts and what muscle fibers do and what proper tension and breathing can really, how it can really start to impact the brain and, and memories that come up or traumas or, you know, patterns. And, um, as I kept kind of developing and developing this, this kind of process, um, movement ayahuasca just kind of came where I was like, finally, I was like, you know, I just want to have a place where it's not strength and conditioning and it's not just fitness and it's not mental health, but it's a, an unconventional way for you to, you know, kind of take a look at yourself and see how you want to move forward. Mm. Um, one of the biggest things for me was that it needed to be active Um, and what I mean by active is you're the one that's making the decision to continue to move or not move. So I'm not forcing anything on you. I give you, again, I navigate you and you decide what doors should or should not be opened. Um, and so I think with ayahuasca, when I've talked to people that have done the ayahuasca, um, you know, doors are just kind of open and you get to see a whole lot. There's some control of it, depending on, on the people that have had a trip. Uh, but then you come back and the plan forward is not quite direct, um, you know, and how, how do I change this now that I've seen all of these things in my life? Uh, what do I, what can I do to actually start to change this? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like, okay, so that's something that I can provide. Um, and so through the, the emotional mapping that I've kind of come up with and, and been looking at, um, I, I just started to intuitively have these kind of sessions where there are three to four days where I kind of allow you to see yourself and where you need to make changes. And I do it all through movement and proper breathing um, and really stressing the athlete. So I have a, a protocol of how I uh, 
kind of regulate the nervous system and allow you to just let go of the mind and understand you for you uh, with no judgment whatsoever. And it's the results have been awesome. Uh, it's been really cool. I have Dr. Ed that's kind of jumped on board and he's been super cool because he's a, a wealth of knowledge. If you want to have him on your podcast, it would be awesome. He's a really cool guy. He just, the amount of medical background and ability for him to read studies is super cool. And so we've, we were kind of having this conversation at the beginning of this year. And he's like, oh, there's this study that just came out in psychotherapy where the trauma, based on traumas, there's a cell response. And the cell response is centrally, it's uh, located in different parts of the body based on the types of traumas. Uh, and he, I was like, holy shit, well, that sounds like the emotional mapping. And so we've kind of been digging deeper, but basically the goal of movement ayahuasca is for you to come in. We spend three to four days and, you know, you get to navigate and open the doors of things that you want to fix. Um, and I give you that opportunity by allowing your mind to kind of be calm and the body to truly express. And so I call, you know, the first day is always breaking down the ego's wall. The second day is being able to understand the id and going through the gauntlet and the last day is expressing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of my, my process that I go through. And there's a, you know, a series of breathing movement, um, and expression. And it's all, there you go. Siri, how did you even get Siri up right now? Um, and so that's really kind of how I've been approaching it. It's, but I mean, the, the results have been awesome and, and, and amazing and the feedback has been great. So the goal is just to continue to kind of build that up and kind of keep it going. Okay. Great. In short. <laughs> Beautiful. I went off on a tangent there. Sorry. No, no, that's good. I, I was following. Um, I'm pretty sure it was pretty excellent. Yeah. I've, I've heard you go on tangents. That was actually one of your straighter road tangents. <laughs> Shorter ones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've, I've been down an alleyway where I'm feeling like, where the fuck are we now? That was a short alleyway, but you've right. taken me on a trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, so look, we've got a few minutes before we finish up. I, I've really enjoyed having you Perfect. on, of course, but I've, I've enjoyed catching up. I, I, I really value my time with you. Um, so for you then, what I want to know is we're halfway through the year. Right, the calendar yeah. year, whatever the fuck that means, really. But, but what's what's on board for you for the back end of this year? What's I want to know what you've got your eyes on, what you're focused on, um, and what you're contributing for the back end of this year. Yeah, and that so could be ayahuasca keep... and stuff, but out of curiosity. Yeah, so the goal right now is really growing um, the Barracuda Way. So it's a mentoring program for coaches and movement enthusiasts and anybody that just wants to learn more about their body. Um, and I'm, I want to develop it in a way that it's much larger than me. I want to have a place where the fitness community that wants to make a shift, right? Cause we all see, you know, kind of how this, these fitness trends start to move around. Um, so I want to make sure that there's a place in growth for everybody. And so I'm bringing on people where I have the mentoring program that runs and we do our calls and we have the educational platform. But I want to bring on, uh, for example, I have Lou Crenshaw, who has, she runs Drop Gym, who again is another amazing human being. Um, she works and helps women with trauma through training and, and expressions in these camps um, year round. So who am I to tell you how to coach women when I do coach women, but she does it on a daily basis and has come up with, you know, ways to train through the cycle and be auto-regulated with your cycle and understand what each day means and how you can tell what type of workout you need to do for yourself. 
Um, so I want to, I'm, I'm bringing in Dr. Ed for more of the science stuff. I'm bringing in a professor from Colorado, Hunter Albright for the business side of things. And so the goal is to just continue to build up this mentoring program where there's a base of knowledge that can allow you to shift your perception on training and how you can see movement. And then from there, if you want to go more towards how do I coach women, how do I read scientific studies or understand hormonal cycles or understand why lactate is so important in the body or whatever it is, you can go down that route. If you want to go more towards, you know, uh, just, I need to understand how to run my business because I have no clue. You can go down that route and, you know, kind of keep building the sports specific side and so on and so forth. So that's, that's been really my, my big goal on the side. Um, for movement ayahuasca, as I, we talked before the call, I understand where my gaps are. Um, and one of my biggest gaps is that I'm a very laid back person. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, people are going to come and do movement ayahuasca. Like it'll be fun. And you know, my, my wonderful wife goes, yeah. So where's it going to be? How are they going to get there? What about the transportation? What's the itinerary look like? Where's the food coming from? Do they know they're paying for the food? Do they know they're doing this? I'm like, I just want to make them move. <laughs> they can figure it out. She's like, Richard, you're providing a premium product, right? So we've had our arguments back and forth on this. So, Richard. you know, I came up to her. Yeah, in life, huh? <laughs> so I said, why don't we do this? You own Movement Ayahuasca and just, I can show up and coach. And, you know, you use me as a contractor to come in and coach and really help out. And that's where my vision for Movement Ayahuasca is, is to be able to have, again, a team that can really help me grow everything because I'm, I, I like to kind of manifest these things, but the details for me need to have more importance, but they do not at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I feel like I see big overall pictures, but the, the details of it, I, I, that's a big gap. Um, and I think it requires a lot of, it requires a lot of work for that, but I think it also takes away from being able to see the bigger pictures. So it's better to understand that you are not a one man team and that you do need a village and a massive team to grow what you want to grow. Um, so that's where for me, this, this year is building the team that can help myself and the Barracuda way movement, ayahuasca fortitude, all of these projects grow and, you know, just kind of continue to manifest how we can make this sort of paradigm shift in the, in the fitness industry and the health industry. Beautiful. Oof. Yeah. I love it. So that's, those are some of the projects, but we'll keep you posted on more cool stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. And then, of course, uh, where yeah. can people find you? Um, on Amsterdam. Instagram. So I have the Barracuda Way in Amsterdam. Yeah, fly on over. It's a good, it's a good time. Um, the Barracuda Way, uh, Rare Barracuda, and Movement Ayahuasca on Instagram. And then movementayahuasca.com and thebarracudaway.com. Richard, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Absolutely, man. It's been great. We need I, uh, a reunion soon. Yeah, indeed. Well, I, like as you know, I am. Um, my publisher is in Germany, so I'm planning on after um, oh, okay. this next manuscript being done, getting across and running a few seminars across America and then also getting across to, to Europe as well is a plan. So Beautiful. Um, yeah, so keep me posted. I will. But uh, And if you're in England, mate, I am a cricket nut. So if I'm going to England, it's when Australia is playing cricket over there. Just to watch cricket. And I'm going to drag So we could just go to Ireland and go have some... Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that uh, as well. I mean, there's beer. There yeah. is beer. I mean, that's <laughs> some I would, it's not juice boxes. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, my friend, thank you very much. I look forward to catching up with you. Um, and uh, until next time. All right, man. Take care. You too, mate.